We need to pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you for this Christmas time. Yesterday was the day that we spend uh, in remembrance of your coming to earth on our behalf, and we thank you. We thank you, Father, for your unspeakable gift. It's not that we can't speak about it, it's just that words can't describe it. It's indescribable, the magnitude of what you've done for us and the way that you did it. So thankful, Lord. So thankful. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the precious word of God, the manna from heaven, the anointing that breaks every yoke. Lord, we just pray for all those who are here and all those who will hear this message in other places. We thank you, Lord, for blessing them indeed and helping them to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. There's a great man of God who's gone on to be with the Lord now, lived in Oklahoma, but he traveled all over the world. He was, he was known for working great miracles. You go in some of these places and regions of the world where they have nothing, and they'll travel for days to get to a meeting, and they show up by the hundreds of thousands. They're desperate for God, and uh, it's, it's terrible to need a miracle, but it's also a very powerful place to be in God because it's easier to receive when you're desperate for God and you've exhausted all your other resources, in a sense. But one time he stood people up. His name was T.L. Osborne. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He stood people up with all sorts of ailments and impairments. Some weren't even walking, and others were obviously infirmed in different ways. Stood them up, lined them all up across the stage. And he said, I'm going to pray for these folks. And he said, I'm going to pray. And he prayed in the name of Allah. And nothing happened. He prayed in the name of Muhammad, you know. Prayed in the name of Buddha. Nothing happened. He goes, now watch this. And he commanded them all to be healed in the name of Jesus and every single person on that stage. And this is filmed, by the way. They were all healed. T.O. once said that, speaking to believers like yourself, he said, you are born for greatness, not mediocrity. You're created for health, not sickness. You are here for success, not for failure. You are created for abundance and happiness, not for poverty and disappointment. You are designed for esteem, dignity, and accomplishment, not for shame, abuse, and bankruptcy. And I agree with it. Amen. In spite of, of all the evil that is going on in the world, all the darkness and all the suffering that exists in the world. And it's, it's apparent, it's evident. God has left a testimony for us of His goodness. 
for those of us who have eyes to see. Amen. Everything good, everything beautiful, everything that's kind and pleasant has but one source. God. Amen. James 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. In other words, he's not going to change. Just like John 14, 27, when Jesus said, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give unto you. In other words, I'm not going to take it back. I'm not going to change my mind. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. The goodness of God according to the Bible, is meant to lead us to repentance, though. Hello. And I'm I'm talking about, today, I'm talking about a particular repentance. Repenting, it's a religious word sounding, so just in layman's term, repenting is just changing your mind. Mm It's changing your mind. It's a change of mind resulting in a corresponding change in actions regarding the things of God. Amen. Or anything, really. There's re- you can repent and it not be a godly repentance. It could just be something self-serving. and still be good for you. Huh? There are lots of changes. Lots of repenting around this time of year, isn't there? Yes. <laughs> We call them resolutions. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. It's good example. A, a good example is like it's just who uh, I'm. I'm, I'm going to stop eating junk food and I'm going to I'm going to switch to health food. Okay, that's a, that's an example of repenting, changing your mind about something that's negative to something that's better or positive, right? I'm going to switch from alcohol to iced tea. Oh, you're just meddling now, preacher. <laughs> you're just saying that because of what I told you on the way to church. I didn't say that. <laughs> That's a good thing, though. Mm-hmm. I'm going to switch from being mean to being kind. <laughs> See, there's a lot of mean people in the church. Not our church, thank God. So I can tell you about those others. But there are people that are like a family of skunks. they got their own pew. Never missed a church service in 30 years. Mean as a dang snake. And they tell you about every drinker in that congregation. And they do tell everybody. <laughs> that drinker might be a lot closer to God than them. We're not, we're not, the, we're not the judge. 
And I tell you, there's a lot of things we can change our mind about. We can change our relationships. We can change our marriages. We can just make up our mind about things that need to be changed. You know. I was thinking about... <laughs> I was thinking... I was thinking about M&M's this morning. Yeah, M&M's. Muffin tops and missing bottoms. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. But there's a lot of that kind of change or stuff that's going on. I talked about this time of year. We always do it and then for a week or two we might stick to it but those are not resolutions are really not good goals are fine but the word of god is a better better thing to be led by the holy ghost amen because he'll lead you into all that kind of stuff because the goodness of god is meant to bring us really to god himself and his ultimate gift of goodness which is Jesus Christ. Because until you're born again and make Jesus not only your Savior, but the Lord of your life, then all that other stuff is just good for this life. And this life is just for a flicker. If your life isn't supernatural, it's Superficial. Amen. Or oh me. <laughs> We're putting the cart before the horse. It's a syndrome, I called it. Cart before the horse. And have you ever imagined that cart pulling that horse around? <laughs> Who's going to power the cart? You are. You ever drug a horse? Even an inch? They weigh a lot more than us. I can see people with a big old rope on the front of that cart dragging a horse behind them. Think how silly that is. Isn't that foolish? That's how foolish it is to try to live this life in your own strength, in your own power, without God. And the only way to God the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came as a baby. Thank you, Lord. He lived a sinless life. He gave us a perfect example of how to live and how to love. And He died for us on the cross for our sins. He was laid in the tomb. He was resurrected on the third day. He ascended to heaven. And He sits at the right hand of the Father in majesty, making intercession for you and for me. And He is planning... His imminent return in glory as the King of kings and Lord of lords. But meanwhile, He has charged us to live a life of faith. Hasn't He? So many people these days just living by their natural senses. 
You can see it. Today, more than ever before, it's more evident, especially when you're sitting next to someone at a traffic light and they're in an enclosed vehicle by themselves with a mask on. And I'm not trying to be political. I'm trying to tell you that is not spiritual. Wouldn't you agree? What is that based on? That, yes. Well, it can be. I'm not going to go there. Matthew twelve twenty-eight, twelve thirty-eight. Let me go over there for a second. Try to make my points with the word here. But as believers, we are not called to live. After our natural senses. What we can see, feel, hear, taste, and touch. Are we? We're called to a life of faith. This is a sixth sense that is not even available to those who do not have the Spirit of God. They do not understand the things of God, nor are they able to. So how can you hate someone who doesn't even have the ability to understand the things that you've come to know in Christ? You can't. You shouldn't. You pray for them. Best thing could ever happen to your worst enemy is that God get a hold of them and change their heart. Make their mess into a message. If he did it for you. <laughs> Who are you to withhold it from them? But Christians, they need they they're looking so much for for a goosebump, a sign from God. Uh, I want to. I want to go and I want to go see this preacher. They 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 operating in the gifts of healing and the, and the miracles and signs and wonders. That's a wonderful thing. I know a lot of them. I could introduce you to them. You want to spend all your time and money chasing them around the country to get your needs met? Because that's what a lot of Christians do. I'm not against it. God put them in the body of Christ. And His mercy and goodness. It's a dinner bell to get people to come and hear the Word of God and to believe. And also, you know, some people come to the Lord later in life or they come under, you know, uh, wrong teaching and doctrines and things like that. And they're already so far in trouble and in and, and need that God in His mercy, He's put people in the body of Christ to help bring them across the finish line right away. That's a good thing. A miracle is not God's best. But it's the best thing for somebody that needs one. The problem with miracles is that it requires a crisis. And we don't want to live crisis to crisis to crisis. But so many people, they still is, well, just, I want to see this. I want to see something. I want to see something fantastic. The problem with that is, do you need to see something fantastic? Are you addicted to that? Otherwise, are you just bored and unbelieving? Because that's what Jesus was talking about right here in Matthew chapter 12, starting at the 38th verse. He said, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. 
but no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. See, even that was veiled. It's not veiled for you, it was veiled from them. The glory of God to, to, to hide his treasures in this book. But it's the privilege and the glory of kings to search it out. To find the nuggets, the treasures that are hidden in here. Not from you, but for you. What was the sign of Jonah that he showed them? Everything in the Old Testament is in type and shadow, right? Three days in the belly of the whale. Jesus was three days in the belly of the earth. That's the sign he showed them, but they didn't know what he was talking about. They thought he was crazy. And he didn't care. He did not care. That's important. It's not that he didn't care about them. He just didn't care what people thought more than he cared what his father thought. Look at John chapter 20. Verse 24. This was asked if Jesus was resurrected. The day he was resurrected, he appeared to most of the disciples, didn't he? And they saw him, and they went and told the one who was missing. Who was it? Thomas. And Thomas said, well, let's just read what Thomas said. John 20, verse 24. Let's have some fun today. Amen? Amen. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and the place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He willed not to believe. He decided not to believe. Based on the testimony of other believers. <laughs> he had to see it. And let's see what Jesus did. Eight days later, he appeared. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He came through the locked door, <laughs> supernaturally. Jesus, then he said to Thomas, and he told him, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Thomas was saved right there. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. But, verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Some versions say more blessed. In other words, Jesus didn't say that was a good thing, did he? He should have believed. You know, you know what I, was, I asked him yesterday. I was like, really though? Didn't all the disciples see? <laughs> That's why they believed. <laughs> <laughs> he just wasn't with them the first time around. <laughs> and I think all I got out of him was a smile. But <laughs> we can all ask him when we see him, okay? <laughs> I think John probably believed already. He might have been the first one to believe without seeing. Because he had a revelation of the Lord's love for him. Because of that, he could see the truth. I really do believe that. But we'll ask when we see them, okay? But we should strive to be the more blessed. Amen? That's why on the road to Emmaus the day he was resurrected, he walked with a couple of the disciples who were so dejected and downcast because what had happened to him, and they, you know, had put all their trust and faith in him, and then they were disappointed when he died. But he didn't just go, ta-da, it's me! He walked all the way, like six mile walk with them, and he had a Bible study. And he began to reveal himself in all the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, starting with Moses and the prophets. And then they said, don't you see all these things had to happen? He explained it. He wanted them to understand by faith in the scriptures. And then they invited him to stay when they got where they were going to eat with him, and he, he ate with them. And then when he broke the bread, they, they realized it was him. He revealed himself then, and then he disappeared. But the point is, why didn't he just show them himself? Because he knew this is what was going to be with them forever, not him personally. This is what we have. He did that for us. point here. I'll show you again. Luke chapter 18. Show you a misused, misrepresented scripture. We'll kill a couple sacred cows today. Maybe we'll have a barbecue later. <laughs> Luke chapter 18. Verse 8. No, nope, let me back up. Let me start at the beginning of the chapter because Jesus tells this parable. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? 
Will his will he delay longer over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? A lot of people think that this is uh, telling people to just keep crying out and begging God and pleading and get your prayer chain going and and if you bombard God and you'll twist his arm hard enough you'll make him you'll make him give in and give you what you want just don't give up don't keep, don't quit praying and finally he'll get tired of you of your coming and he'll he'll give it to you does that sound right does that sound like a good father that the Bible describes he, him to be? No. Who does that judge, that, that wicked judge, more represent to you? Someone who neither fears God nor man. Nor, though the Bible does say that he does fear God and tremble. He knows God is real and he trembles. But it's the devil, right? But God is good. He's not unjust. He's not going to withhold from us any good thing, the Bible says. And every good and every perfect gift comes down from above and from the Father of lights. He's not going to withhold. It says He'll give you speedily. You see, He's not going to be like that unrighteous judge. And you don't have to come and beg Him and plead with Him to force him, I, I've fasted and I've prayed and God's going to have to feel sorry for me now and give me what I want. No, that's not true. Fasting and praying is good. But I told you, 90% of your prayer life should be praising God and thanking Him for everything He is and has done. And then just throw in the little bit of things you need on the end of that just so you know who to thank when He does it. A lot of things are misrepresented. But the persistence of this widow, there's a key there. Her persistence against this ungodly judge to get justice, there is a key there. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says that we walk by faith, not by sight. Right? So again, sticking with this, the fact that we need to live by faith in what is unseen and not what is seen. So what does it mean to walk by faith? I think a lot of people are really confused about this. If they admit it. Because I hear a lot of, oh, I have faith, but... You just need to get your missing butt out of the way. I mean, oh Lord! <laughs> Don't take my pulpit, Lord. <laughs> he loves me. He loves me. You know, he has a sense of humor. <laughs> I might go a little too far sometimes, but 
he does have a sense of humor. He's laughed at me when I was crying like a baby. <laughs> I didn't think that was funny. He did. But he told me he loved me. And that made it all better. Amen. Well, our natural senses and emotions are being bombarded, I would say, daily in this fallen world. Right? Yes. Fair, fair enough. Very fair. Paul, he declares that the Christian's life should revolve around the unseen, not that which is seen. And believe me, we don't have it any worse than he did. <laughs> this is not the first time things have been bad. We have it pretty good, actually. There's just a lot of weird stuff going on. But we still are in a place in this world where we're pretty protected and pretty have uh, everything to be thankful for. If we don't watch out, we're going to lose it. But that'll be Christian's fault if we allow it to happen, not God's. If we keep letting the devil in, he's going to keep coming. <laughs> Second Corinthians 4.18 While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Look at the things that aren't seen. That's what Paul says. For the things which are seen are temporary. Or temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The unseen created the seen. <laughs> Just because we can't see it don't mean it's not there. This is an exhortation in the Bible. You know what exhortation is? Because these type of exhortations are an underlying theme of the Bible. Especially the New Testament. An exhortation is defined as the act or process of making a strong urging or appeal. Like an emotional speech or sermon that inspires people to act in a certain manner. <laughs> That's an exhortation. I went to a conference one time before I'd ever looked up that definition. And they gave me a badge. I was just like my first year in ministry. And I wasn't one of the headline ministers. I wasn't going to preach a sermon, but I was an exhorter. And I didn't know what the heck that meant. Will Brocker, exhorter. I was like, all right, exhorter. I go find out what that means so I can exhort. And I went and found out. So we're told over and over and over again in the New Testament. They don't talk a lot about faith in the Old Testament. You know why? Because they didn't have it. A lot of people died trusting in God in faith, but the real faith, the measure of faith, had not been dealt out yet. That came through Christ, through the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Even though it's a 
It's a sound doctrine. It's an exhortation all through this new covenant. People, they hear it, but in spite of it, they, if they admit it, they're far more influenced by their natural senses still, aren't they? Aren't we? <laughs> human information, human logic. I have people tell me right to my face all the time. I hope so. I said, that ain't hope. I believe it when I see it. That's not faith. Then I don't know what you mean. It's nonsense. I hear that sort of thing all the time. But really, people are relying on the unseen. More than they will admit, or more than they realize. We don't even really know what the unseen is, I don't think, in many cases. But it's important that we do, because in order to live a life pleasing to God, a believer, I would say if you're going to be a believer, it's good to be a believing believer. (laughs) But if we're going to please God... We have to first acknowledge the fact that we are part of two different worlds. One seen and one unseen by the natural senses. I mean, that's that's 101. Faith 101. You have to realize that you're part of both of these worlds. And you have an active part to play in both as long as you're here in this earth suit. Mark 10.30. Let's just see. I'm going to get too far off course, Lord. Jesus says here in Mark 10.30. Well, let me just give you a little... Example of this, Jesus had talked to this rich young ruler who was trying to earn his way into heaven. He told him, go sell everything you got. Come follow me. Give it to the poor. And he was dejected. He couldn't even give a dollar in the offering basket. Jesus pinpointed his problem, right? He didn't tell everybody to do that. He was pointing out this young man's character flaw who claimed he didn't have any character flaws. But then... Jesus looked around and he said, oh, how hard it is for a wealthy person to get into the kingdom of God. And, and uh, it talked about it being easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And, and listen, what, uh, listen what, what happened in verse 20, 26. And they were exceedingly astonished. <laughs> this is the disciples. And they said to them, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Praise God. And then look at this. So Peter, I love Peter. Makes me feel so much better about my screwed up self. (laughs) Peter says, he started telling the Lord how much he owes him, I guess. Peter began to say to him, See, we we left everything and followed you. 
Whoops. Let me tell you this. You're not going to outgive God. We left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this life, in this time, and in the future eternal life. I lost the scripture, but that's what he said. <laughs> Wait a second. There's something else. Because that's where most people get off. Because that's not all he said. Will not receive a hundredfold in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. With persecution. Oh. And in the age to come, eternal life. People don't talk about persecutions as a Christian. Well, I guarantee you there's a lot of this world who can tell you about persecutions as a Christian. You go over to Syria and start a church right now. You go over to certain parts of of the Middle East or Africa where Boko Haram is in, in charge and my friends are over there doing uh, baptisms in the name of swimming lessons right under the nose of armed guards and Boko Haram who would shoot them right between the eyes if they knew what they were doing. And even if they get caught, they don't deny the Lord. They just let them kill them. Folks, this is also a part of the Christian life. This is what you're called to. I know there are great places and big fancy churches in this country that talk about all the good, the hundredfold return and the houses and lands. And God told me to build this hundred million dollar house for my wife. I don't know if he did or not. I'm not the judge. I know I like Andrew Womack. He lives in a house that cost him $64,000 to build. And they've added on to it since and stuff like that. But he's not impressed by all that. And because of that, God's put billions of dollars in, Andrew, in people under his influence. I think I'll just choose to live that way. I want to do a lot better than I'm doing now financially. I'm blessed to be a blessing, you see. But... I don't think I'm ever going to go for all that other stuff. I've never felt like God's told me that I need to pile up riches. And he, he did tell me, though, that I need to teach a little bit about persecution. Because just like I showed you that picture earlier of that terrible x-ray and told you how if you're not prepared in advance for something like that, you could fall apart like a $3 suitcase when you see it. The same goes for persecution. You see, the problem in this country, we see, we, the things we're faced with right now, we're like, hey, we're going to stand up. We're going to fight against it. Because there's still enough of us, you see, together, that it gives us comfort and strength to stand together. But what about when you're all alone? Huh? 
What about when you're all alone? Let me tell you, uh, well, I'm just going all kind of astray. But I want to look at, look at Hebrews 11, and I'm just going to finish this point. I won't talk about it anymore today. Because I know it's not pleasant. I just want you to think about it. It's like talking to your kids about certain things that they're going to be faced with. Now, some of us have seen a whole lot in this world. You know? But you know what? I would love for young young family members of mine or people that I love, that I know are going to be faced with challenges in this world, I would love for somebody like myself or Dan to sit down and talk to them about some of the things they're going to be confronted with and how they need to handle it. Who better than somebody who's been there and made the mistakes and knows now the Lord? You know what I'm saying? Because then when they see it, they're like, oh no. Uncle Dan told me about you. (laughs) Get on. Get on. I don't need that misery in my life. Let me tell you about Jesus. What he did for me. Hebrews 11. Way back in the back. Hebrews 11. Y'all still with me? Yes. Alright. I thought so. Just checking. If I can find Hebrews, it's in chapter 11, which is the great faith chapter. And see, we know a lot about this chapter too. Oh, the wall of faith. Oh, I would love to be on that wall of faith. Instead of the hall of fame, they call it the hall of faith. Chapter 11 in Hebrews. And he lists all these people who had great faith in the Bible. People say, oh man, what an honor, what a privilege. Let me just tell you about some of them that you don't talk about very often. Hebrews chapter 11, go all the way down to the 37th chapter. I mean verse, (laughs) sorry. Uh, Let me back up a little bit. And he goes on mentioning... All these great men. He said, for a time with Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets and who through faith conquered kingdoms and enforced justice and stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness. Awesome. Wow, those guys were awesome. I wish I was one of them. They became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead from resurrect by resurrection. But listen here, this is where we all jump off the train. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. 
wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So they were waiting on what we have now. And they were so confident that God would deliver this Savior, this Messiah, this new birth, that they died in faith. And those are the ones that Jesus... Jesus didn't go to hell when He died. He went down into the earth. He went down to paradise where all of these people were waiting. And He preached to them. And He told them about the day that had come. And He kicked the devil in the teeth and took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And He took all those people who had died in faith in those horrible ways, waiting for His coming with Him as He ascended into heaven. And as He ascended with all those people into heaven for the first time, because He had placed His blood on the mercy seat, so God didn't see their sins any longer. When He saw them, all He could see was through the blood of Jesus. Mercy was crying out for all those people. And they were allowed to enter into the kingdom of God, into heaven. Because of what He's done for us. Now look what He's called us to. See what time we got here. We're just going to finish up, okay? Is that all right? Sure. Because I said he's called us to a life of faith. Second Peter, first and second Peter in the back. Second Peter, chapter one. Look what Peter says. He said, "Well, and this is a man, Peter. He, Peter." I laugh at Peter because he made a lot of mistakes in this when Jesus was living out his ministry for three and a half years and we make fun of Peter and he makes us feel better about ourselves. But believe me, like I tell you, in the end he got it right. He was so full of God, so full of the anointing of the Holy Ghost that they would lay people in the streets and just Peter's shadow would heal them. He was martyred for his faith too along with his wife. But he asked him, please don't crucify me in the same manner as my Lord was. I'm not worthy. So they did it upside down. But he's he's writing it. This is his last letter to the church, to us. Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. First of all, a servant. To those who have obtained... Like precious faith. This version says, a faith of equal standing with ours. You see, people say, well, Peter and James and John and all of them, and these Andrew Womack and these great ministers of of the world that no one denies, they have, God gave them great faith. I'm just a little old Christian I'm pitiful and helpless. That's not what Peter says here. He says you have the same faith he has. The Bible teaches us that we've all been given the measure 
of faith. And talking about Andrew again, so he's on my mind. He always describes it because he was in Vietnam. He talks about, he thinks of the measure of faith. It, it, the way he thinks of it is going through the chow line. The measure. <laughs> Everybody got the measure <laughs> of whatever it was they were <laughs> serving that day. Same measuring cup. Same spoon, whatever. We all got the same faith. But you know, when we were born, we all got a set of muscles too, didn't we? The human anatomy is the same, pretty much. I mean, you know, don't tell me about these scientific anomalies. I don't care. I'm talking about in the normal. We all got the same set of muscles, groups. Yet, there are some who can... Who can pull a truck or a dead horse, a cart. And others of us just get tired looking at it. Why? God just gave that one big muscles and he gave me weak muscles. Nuh-uh. That one spent eight hours a day in the gym for several years. And you spent years doing 12-ounce pearls on a bar stool. I'm just saying if that same muscle builder gets sick and is infirmed and on the flat on his back for six months in the bed he's not going to be able to do what he used to do right away is he? Just like I was talking about when I showed you that picture of that x-ray if you wait until you need your faith to be strong to start Reading scriptures on me, there's nothing wrong with that. I encourage people, anybody who you got a need, find the promise and the scriptures that meet that need and meditate on it, speak it, put it, you ought to see my refrigerator. All the same scriptures are still there from the time that I was fixing to go through a great ordeal in my life. And I still rehearse those scriptures and stuff. But I'm telling you, it's a lot better to be prepared... You know, I have guns in my home and I have ammunition for those guns. And I have, even at my age and what I've been through, I still have certain physical abilities that I picked up when I was younger that I was really good at that I still will give them a really good try if anybody tries to touch my wife or my granddaughter or break in my home or just to rob me of anything. I'm not going to allow that. I'm not going to allow the devil to just have his way. I'm going to put up the best fight that I can. But the guy who just said, you know, I'm going to, when the burglar comes in and he's standing there face to face with him and his wife is there behind him and he said, hold on a second. I'm going to run down to the gym. And get strong. And I'm going to stop off by on the way home at the gun store. It's not going to work, is it? Too late. I'm telling you, there's a lot of truth to that in the spiritual realm. Second Peter... Look at verse 2. May grace and peace... You want grace and peace? You want a lot of it? Because it can be multiplied in your life. 
Because that's what Peter says. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The more you get to know God, the more... I tell you, there's about 8,000 promises in this Bible that are all for you. And the answer to all of them is yes and amen in Christ. Search it out. Find them. Make them your own. Confess them. When something in opposition to that happens to you, confess what God says instead of what you see or what they say. He says we have light, precious faith. And it also says His divine power has, past tense, granted to us all things that pertain to life, that's this life, because you won't need them when you get to heaven. You'll have everything and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us. Here's, he's telling us how now, how to, how to get it. His precious and very great promises. So He's given us everything we need through His promises. You say, man, I've promised a lot of things. <laughs> Or I've been promised a lot of things that I never got. Not with God. It's all there on account. But you're not taking into account the unseen world that you're also a member of. Hello? Through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And then it goes on to tell you how to build... Those muscles adding to the, adding to your faith, this and that and the other, making you strong. See what I'm saying? Ephesians chapter one says the same thing. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Oh yeah, that's that's up in the heavenly. That's in heaven. When I get to heaven, I'll have everything. No, you have God there. You don't have any need for anything else. It's in the heavenly places, which is in the unseen world that's right here. Right here, where you're sitting. I'll make this point. If it hair lips the Pope. Randy don't like it when I make Catholic jokes. No, he don't mind now. I explained it to him. I'm an equal opportunity offender. I love them all. I, I love the Baptists. <laughs> Andrew Womack was a Baptist. He was raised a Baptist. He was saved in the Baptist church. His daddy was a deacon. He was the head of everything there. He died when he was 11 years old. And, and uh, everybody in the church told him that, uh, that God did that. I don't hate them. I hate lies that are perpetrated on God's people. 
they kicked Andrew out of the Baptist church when he got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Yes, I believe that. <laughs> what was I saying? Where were you? Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. God is able to do more than we can possibly even ask or think. You hear that scripture? And, and most people stop right there. And they claim it and they speak it. And that's great. I'm glad they do. But then remember the other part that they have to play. Because the second half of that scripture, after the apostrophe, says, According to the power at work within us. <laughs> and some of us have uh, turned our switch off of our generator. God's transmitter is not broke. Our receivers sometimes. We need to get the, the youngest child in the family to go hold the foil on the rabbit ears and stand there just right, you know, sometimes. Like I did when I was a kid because I was the youngest. <laughs> our receivers are off sometimes. And on the roof, turn it. Yeah, turn it. All right, right there, right there. Stand there at the door, mama. <laughs> it's interesting to me that in the world, the world of, of the things we can see, this world, there are a lot of people building their lives on things that they can't see anyway. Because they're persuaded by those things that are real to them. If the doctor declares that they have a sickness or an illness in their body, they believe it. They put their faith in that. But they can't see it. If the banker says that you have a deficit, you believe it. Well, yeah, I'm just being realistic. You don't believe it? Watch me not go pick up that hot check. See what they do to me. <laughs> the point is, we can't always see the things that we're believing. We believe it because of what we hear it. We can't really see or know what's going on in Washington sometimes. <laughs> believe me. Probably never will, but we believe the words of those who write the news and we allow our emotions and feelings to be manipulated by whatever goes in these eye and ear gates. Every time you meet somebody with a strong opinion one way or another about anything, it's because of something they've heard or, or been or read or, or been told, you see. They form opinions based on what the doctor said, based on what... A professor said, based on what uh, a scientist bureaucrat says, who's hadn't practiced in his field for years and years and years. Although there are others who are opposing as strongly and as vociferously as they possibly can, but they're being squelched. It's being suppressed because it doesn't fit the narrative of the ones that what they want you to hear. 
So people, you know, I, I used to say, well, you can't, you can't mandate morality when I was on one side of things <laughs> before I knew the Lord. But somebody's morality is always being mandated. It's either God's or the devil's. So we believe a lot of things and put our trust in it just on what we hear or say. But when someone declares that they're believing God's word over physical circumstances or symptoms, they'll often be accused of losing their minds. You've lost it. Oh, he's one of those fanatics. He's crazy. We all have. People have more faith, basically, in what the devil can do, or might do, than what God promises and has done and will do. So, walking by faith is a decision to believe God's word over the visible or invisible information of the world. For starters, it's choosing to see what God sees and says. It's the evidence of the unseen world of God's promises and provision. Basically what it te- teaches us in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Walking by faith doesn't rely on the emotions or human logic. But has chosen, made a choice to be free of those chains. Because it is bondage, folks. And to live in the dimension of the certainty of God's word as supreme over everything that represents sickness and loss and anxiety and depression and poverty and fear and shame and strife in your home and in your workplace and, come on, in your marriage. You've chosen to believe God. Not your emotions. Walking by faith is the decision to surrender, to submit to God, not to fear, not to worry, not to depression, not to symptoms, not to the image of lack and failure, but to reprogram your heart to see things As God sees them. To see the promises of God and nothing else. To refuse to reject the lies of the enemy. And settle for nothing less than God's best. It's a choice. And you have to make it. If you're going to walk in victory in this life. Matthew 11 verse 12. And I'm done. Teaches us. Y'all want me to start again next week? I I just want to finish. I just want to finish. Let me think about it.
right. There's a couple of things that I'm not going to finish because I want to spend more time on them. But I will tell, I will, I'll finish on this. And it'll be our, our starting point next week. When the people of Israel were finally led into the promised land by Joshua, who was type and shadow of Jesus, they weren't allowed to be led in by Moses. He wasn't even allowed to go in. And God said it was because he lost his temper and didn't give him glory. But he hit the rock twice, and that was a picture of Christ being crucified again. Because the first time he hit it and water came out was a type and shadow of Jesus being crucified and the water coming forth, our salvation. Amen. Amen. Second time he told him to speak to the rock. Instead, he got mad at them. He hit it not once, but twice. And he didn't realize what he was doing. God told him because he didn't honor him, he wouldn't be allowed to go in. Let me tell you, I believe that he was never intended to lead the children of Israel into the promised land because he was a representative, a type and shadow of the law. And that by our own works, our own efforts, our own strength, which is the law, nobody is ever going to cross that proverbial Jordan River and enter into that promised land. It's only going to be by a bridge made from an old wooden cross. They went to Shiloh. They set up the tent and they had the Ark of the Covenant there for many years. They began to go out and take possession of the land that God had given them. Some of them got to liken it there around Shiloh. It was easy. Life got good. They were in the land of milk and honey. They didn't have to they didn't have to depend on the manna from heaven being rained down every day. It was all there. They just had to go out and get it, but still there were some tribes that hadn't taken possession of the land that God had given them. Why? There were still enemies in the land. They had to go take it. We say God had already given it to them. Yes, he had. But they had to go take it. It was theirs legally. But experientially, they had to go possess it. Joshua 18.3 says, so Joshua, because God asked him about it. He asked Joshua, how long are you going to let these people hang out and not... Go get what I gave them. So Joshua said in 18.3, says, So Joshua said to the people of Israel, How long will you put off going to take possession of the land which the Lord your God of your fathers has given you? That's a type and shadow. That's a, the same thing God would ask many Christians today. I've given you 8,000 promises or so here. All yours for the taking. All on account for you. But the way that you obtain the things provided by grace is by faith. When are you going to put your faith to work and send it out to take possession of the things that I have provided by grace? And that unseen world is where it is. You send your faith out. 
to take possession of the things provided by grace and bring them into manifestation in this natural world. Amen. Amen. I have a lot more to share, but I'm going to stop there because I think we've made some good ground. Amen? Let me tell you, there's... I want to tell you how thankful I am. I know that this is not the 15-minute guaranteed not to offend message church with the best coffee and child care and padded seats and all that. I know that. And I know it's unusual for people to... I can see your interest, though, and your hunger. And God brought you here. I didn't. And I think He made it like this so that... Because He's he's choosing for Himself an end times church, a bride that will be adorned with all the gifts of the Spirit and walk in power and victory and love. And you're a part of it. If you want to be. There are great ministers of God, and I thank God that they have these ministers and ministries in the body of Christ. And they can go around and they can stir your faith up to the point that everybody in here would be healed today. I know that. I know some of them. And and there are ministers that will that pastors that have craved for other ministers to lay hands on them and pass that over to them, they tell them it ain't gonna work. Why? Because you're a pastor. In other words, familiarity sort of breeds contempt. Not that you have contempt for me, but it's just familiarity in itself. Just like they told Jesus when he went to his hometown. They said, wait. They were, they were excited. They were, they were ready to receive from him. And then they started talking. Wait a minute. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this his mother and brother and sisters with him? Who, who gave him this authority? What's going on? And, they, and their faith just went... Like the spirit of Christmas meter in that movie, he just went down, 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 and he he was amazed, and he couldn't do he couldn't do anything there. There are ministers like Benny Hinn who would go out, and thousands upon thousands of people would be healed, and then they would lose their healing. He get letter after letter after letter. They would lose their healing. And he couldn't understand why. And there were, he's not the only one that was in that boat. It break their heart. Why, Lord? Why is this happening? And God began to minister to ministers that really hear him a, a, a little over a decade ago. Telling them, stop all that. Stop all of that um, fantastic you know, I mean, I'm not against anybody, so don't get me wrong, but whether you're jumping on the tables and you're just stirring everybody up in their emotions and the goosebumps and all that. Nothing wrong with it. There's a place for it. And I enjoy it. It's Christian entertainment for me. And you can receive a lot. You can receive words of prophecy. You can receive... I'm not against it. But people like Benny Hinn and all those others, they started sending all these people to people like Andrew Woman. You need to be taught. You need to be discipled in the Word, is what they would tell them. And then God had shared this with them. He said, because they don't, they can't hang on to their their healing because they, they don't have any truth. They don't have any foundation. They don't have the Word in them. And so they began to send them to teachers of the Word. Jesus talks about teaching. He It says He taught the Word a lot more, like 37 times, and it mentions Him preaching like 19 times. 
teaching was a lot more important to him. He would he would preach to the masses and 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 then he would take the disciples away and he would he would teach them. He would he would share with them. He'd break it down and feed it to them so that they could understand it and it became a part of them and became reality to them. You see? So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. But that's a very real thing. And I'm just proud to be a part of it. And I'm proud that all of you are here and uh, we're in this together. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your beautiful word. Thank you for this beautiful time of year that we can experience your love and grace and mercy and focus on what you've done for us and how you've done it. And continue on in what you've called us to do, to live the life of faith that we are called to and to grow up in the grace and knowledge and of, of our Lord Jesus Christ and to to have grace and peace multiplied in our own lives because we continue to grow in our knowledge and and our understanding of your will and your ways for our life. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to know you better and for loving us so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.